0: Welcome home. So we're glad you're here. Last week we started uh, a new series called Whisper and we're going to keep going in part two of that today. But I don't know about you, um, but I feel like uh, George Orwell was totally a prophet. Like uh, 1984 is like we're living in it. right? we were. Taryn and I were doing a little shoe shopping for some boots for her. We're, we're heading to Colorado here in a few weeks and uh, doing a, a marriage conference up there. And, and um, we needed some weatherized boots for her. Like, we're not used to snow. We don't have those kind of boots here. But we were looking at them. Uh, we didn't buy any. We didn't find any. But, but we, we found a pair we really liked in a shoe store. And they were like the weatherized olive green. And they were Keds. You know, the kids brand, like I haven't heard about Keds in like 20 years, and here they are, and then lo and behold, like didn't look it up, nothing, get home that night, and uh, l- like look what's popping up on the feed, is these exact shoes we were looking at in Keds, like haven't heard them for 20 years, so I don't know, have you had any, anybody, creepy things like that happen to you recently? Right? Yeah. Yeah. They're listening. So um, it's individual marketing just for you. Like, right? And so we're supposed to love that. Um, but most of the time with marketers and businesses, we don't love that. And it like starts to get on my nerves and we start like, I'm shutting off everything and just living in a cave somewhere. Anybody got like thinking through that stuff? Like, what do I do to just have some privacy? Um, but you know what? God communicates with us individually too and it's not creepy. <laughs> it's, in a, it's in the best way possible that he knows how to communicate to each of us individually. Individually. I'm so thankful that he does. We've got God knows how to communicate to extroverts. Extroverts, where you at? <laughs> Introverts, raise your hand. So, so God knows how to communicate no matter what your personality type is. All Myers-Briggs, uh, Myers-Briggs, 16 personalities, he knows how to communicate to yours. Every combination of the disc profile, he knows how to do it. doesn't matter who you are or, or how you're wired. God knows how to speak, and he speaks individually to each one of us, and that's really what this whole series is about, is individual communication, is about God whispering and hearing God's voice, and the point of God speaking is not just to get an answer. The, the point of God speaking or whispering rather is so that we'll be close to him because with a whisper you need to be close so sometimes that's not out on the billboard like we want it to be god's just waiting for us to just be still and stop talking and listen but we're all wired so uniquely different and it's a beautiful beautiful thing that we're wired that way we're all smart in different ways some people are people smart And then there are people who are not people smart. You probably work with one or two of those. They're just not people smart. Um, But then there's also people who are number smart, like the guy who calculated pi He's number smart, right? He, I think he would, as he was calculating this, I read that as he was calculating this, he would stop at the end of the night and just pick up in his calculation the next day by brain, like in his brain, like memorizing these numbers. It's just beyond my wildest imagination. I'm not that number smart, that's for sure. Or like Bart Connor, who's like the most decorated male Olympian, they say that he could walk on his hands as good as he could his feet. Like, that's not, I don't know if he was number smart or people smart, but he was definitely body smart. Like, Mozart was music smart. Like, from the age of seven, he was traveling across Europe and performing concerts, and at the age of eight, he, he um, was uh, performed, or uh, wrote his first symphony at eight years old. What were you doing at eight years old? I was not composing a symphony, I could promise you that, but he was music smart. We're all smart in, in different ways, and... And a lot of what we talked about last week is in order to have a voice, and God has called you, and he has purposed a voice in this world for you. Like a voice that when you speak, it it matters. But in order to do that, we've got to be able to, to hear his voice. Because the, the voice can only speak what the ear hears. So I want to talk to you about three more ways And last week, if you weren't with us, we talked about scripture, and scripture being the first and the primary language in which God speaks to us. God will never speak in any of the other six languages or others you can think up. He'll never speak in any of those languages that contradicts his word. So it's a filter for everything else. And so today, I want to look to you at three people, promptings, and pain. God whispering, God speaking through people, through promptings and pain. And To do that, we're going to go to 2 Samuel chapter 12, and we'll pick up here in the text. Hold off on the text. Hold on just a second. I want to catch people up. Just so you know, we're going to be talking about David. Uh, Most of you know uh, about David or have heard of him, the star of David, David, the one that defeated the giant uh, Goliath. You've heard those stories. But he was kind of from a nowhere town, you might fill in the blank of what that town, some people might call that town, but he was from a middle of nowhere, from the least of his family, and, and he, uh, he was chosen by God really to be an anointed king of uh, Israel, and he was raised up in the fields as a shepherd, and he eventually had the opportunity to slay the Philistine giant, um, Goliath. And once he did that, he kind of had a cult following after that, and people began to sing songs about him, and and, and people just wanted him to be king. They looked down on Saul, who was a ruthless ruler, but eventually, uh, David, his his fame would lead him to an opportunity to serve at at the the will and the pleasure of Saul in his palace, um, playing music for him to soothe His crazy self because he was a little bit crazy and ruthless. And so he would calm him down by playing music. Eventually he'd be kind of run out of Saul's presence and he would go on the run for his life. And eventually he becomes king after Saul dies. David becomes king. And we're picking up the story when David is king. And if you read through 2 Samuel chapter 11, we see a, a, a really a fallen leader David is stays home that the scripture tells us in in 2nd Samuel chapter 11 that it was actually the time of year when kings go out to war. So now when we think about kings a king wouldn't be in battle but back then like a king would actually go out to battle and he'll encourage the troops, maybe assess leadership rising up in the ranks. He would go out. There was a certain time of the year that they usually did that. It was just customary. But the scripture says that at the time that it was he was supposed to go out he didn't. He, he stayed he stayed home and um and that when he stayed home he he actually went up onto the rooftop of his palace and he oversaw he saw a woman bathing his next door neighbor the girl next door was bathing naked on top of her um, uh, on top of her house, and he did what frankly what we see men in power doing in uh, high uh, uh, places these days. There's been a lot of stuff in the news about men with influence using it for uh, corrupt purposes. And they were, uh, that's exactly what was normal for kings. That would be normal for a king to say, hey, bring me that woman. I want her. And that's exactly what David does while her husband is at war. And while uh, he's supposed to be at battle, he stays home. And he has an affair. He, he sleeps with Bathsheba. She gets pregnant, and, um, and and he eventually he finds himself in this predicament with uh, the knocked up girl next door. And he's got he, he's trying to figure out what he's got to cover up his sin. And, and he devises a plan. I'm going to bring Uriah, who is Bathsheba, the woman that he he's now impregnated, and. Um, he, her husband is named Uriah, and he's at, at, at war, and David's like, I'll just bring him home, and then, you know, he'll, he'll do their thing, and, and then it'll look like it was him, right? And, um, but Uriah was like a, a man of character, and he was like one, he was one of the guys, and he's like, I'm not, come. well, you're not going to take me off the battlefield with my brothers, leaving them out there, and then me go, <laughs> go home? No, he, and so he just slept at the gate. He wouldn't even go into his own house and so that plan didn't work, and eventually David said, hey, send him back to the front lines. Because he knew if he was on the front lines, he was going to be the one of the first ones to die. And so Uriah dies, and, and then David is able to marry Bathsheba, and it's his, his child. And we're going to pick up right after that. And if you think that's intense in soap opera, wait for the next like four chapters. It's intense. Like Jerry Springer doesn't have anything on what's about to unfold um, here in the next few minutes. Jerry's still around? I think he's still doing his thing. Um, so let's talk about people and promptings and pain, but let's begin by reading the first 14 verses. We're going to kind of take a big chunk, get you into the story um, of what's going to take place right after all that has taken place. So let's begin. <clears throat> the Lord sent Nathan to David, and when he came to him, he said, there, there were two men in a certain town, one rich, and the other poor, and the rich man had a very large number of sheep and cattle, but the, the poor man had nothing except like one little ewe lamb he had bought, and he raised it and grew up with him and, and his children, and he shared his food and uh, drank from his cup, and he even slept in his arms. Everybody say, oh. It was like a daughter to him. Now a traveler came to the rich man, but the rich man refrained from taking one of his own sheep or cattle to prepare a meal for the traveler who had come to him. Instead, he took the ewe lamb that belonged to the poor man and prepared it for the one who had come to him. David burned with anger against the man. He said to Nathan, As surely as the Lord lives, this man who did this must die. He must pay for that lamb four times over because he did such a thing and had no pity. Nathan said to David, you are the man. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. I anointed you king over Israel, and I delivered you from the hand of Saul. I gave your master's house to you and your master's wives into your arms. I gave you all Israel and Judah, and if this had been too little, I would have given you even more. And why did you despise the word of the Lord? By doing what is evil in his eyes, you struck down Uriah the Hittite uh, with this sword and took his wife to be your own. You killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. Now, therefore the, sword, therefore, the sword will never depart from your house because you despised me and you took the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your own. This is what the Lord says. Out of your household, I'm going to bring a calamity on you. Rebellion is another word that's used there. Before your very eyes, I will take your wives and give them to the one who is close to you, and he'll sleep with your wives in broad daylight. You did it in secret, and I'll do this thing in broad daylight before all Israel. That's what the Lord said. (laughs) Then David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. Nathan replied, Look, the the Lord has taken away your sin. You're not going to die. But because by doing this, you've shown utter contempt for the Lord, the son born to you will die. Like, that's getting in trouble by daddy. <laughs> like, that's, that's, that's rough. I want to talk to you about three love languages of God in which he whispers, in which he speaks to us, people, promptings, and pain. And we're going to see all three of those here in this text. The first I want to talk about is people, that God will use people to speak into our life. And frankly... We need God to use other people to speak into our life. We talked about this a few weeks ago, about the, the Johari window method. Some of you that are psych, you know, psychologists or counselors, you might know about this, the Johari window model, but there's four arenas, there's four sides to our personality. There's the public side, there's the public side, it's the side that we convince people we are, who we are. Uh, then there's the private side, who we let people know we are. Then there's the blind side. It's who we don't even realize we are, but others see it. And then who we are that only God knows is the God side. It's the God side. And we need, in, in, in these window three and four, we need God to use people to help us see our blind side and our God side. Because frankly, we won't see the pride that's kind of coming in our heart. All of a sudden, like we dealt with pride as a big part, and then now we're having to deal with that again. We won't even notice our selfishness if not for a person to come along and say, hey, you're you're the man in the story. You're the woman in the story. Because many times we're always looking at other people, and we need someone to speak into our lives. We need people to speak into our lives, and that's what Nathan does. Nathan is that person for David, he comes, and he brings a hard Word and he does it in such a way, he kind of softens him up with the story. In which David really can't talk back much, he kind of got on there. Like, yeah, I and it's funny because we're a lot like David, and because David got really mad at the story, like he got like super mad. Like, I get it, a lamb died, but like, lamb dying now with PETA and stuff. And like, I'm not against PETA, but like, it. it the world we live in today, like a, a, somebody killing a lamb, or like, how dare you? But back then, like, that was normal. Like, let's kill a lamb, let's eat. Like, that was normal. But to do it from a poor man, that was really, that, in incensed. But we're a lot like David in the fact that sometimes we're, we're overly judgmental on others when we're, like, unrepentant in our own lives about certain things. And, and, and I'll put it like this, an unrepentant, or, or, or I'm sorry, a judgmental spirit in our lives is probably indicative of unrepentant sin in our lives. A judgmental spirit in our lives is probably indicative of unrepentant sin in our lives. And so he's mad about it. And he's not just mad. He's like, put the dude to death. Like, David has actually done far worse than what this man has done. He's actually put a man to death. He slept with a man's wife and and the whole deal. And, And he wants this guy to die over killing... A lamb, and so he, he sees the sins of others, but he's not able to see this. And if it's not for someone seeing his blind side and his God side, maybe he kept this in secret, but God said it's going to be public. <laughs> what's about to go down, is going to be public. Everybody's going to know about it. In our lives, we've got to posture ourselves in a way that we're allowing others to speak into our lives, other people to speak into our lives, because God wants to use people. He definitely wants to use people. Um, Nathan goes on and says, you're, you're the man. And, and finally, he, and where he goes with that, you're the man. He begins to say, this is what God did for you. This is what God for, did for you. He, he took you uh, out of... Out of um, um, what's the word he, I'm trying to remember the word he used, but he redeemed you. He, he delivered you. That's the word he used. He, he de- I delivered you and I gave you all of this stuff. And, and it seems like God is saying here, the reason for your sin is because you haven't been grateful enough for what I've done for you. So let me just remind you of what I did for you. Because most of the time where we go with unrepentant sin or sin that we just can't crucify in our own lives, what we try to do is discipline ourselves or get some accountability. And you know where we should start? You know where we really should start? In thanking God more for what he's already done for us. Like that's where we should actually start. That's what's going to break the chains of sin in our life is not just more discipline, more discipline. Nope, let's, let's get filled more with God's spirit as we repent and we confess. And that's where he gets to. He gets to a place of confession. And Brian McLaren says it like this, a personal salvation requires a personal conviction of sin. A personal conviction of sin. And that's what David says, I have sinned against the Lord. I have sinned against the Lord. If you want to hear the elaborate version, read Psalm 51 and you'll hear the elaborate version where he actually had time to sit down with it. But in his initial kind of repentance, I'm sorry, God, I'm really sorry. It was just... Simple, simple. And we, we go about some real weird ways of repentance, and I, and I think we, we miss it in um, confession. We, we miss it a lot of times. heard about this story um, down in Brazil. There was this woman in like a revival, and, the, and uh, she stood up and said, hey, I, I just want to uh, ask for prayer. She said, um, I, I, I need to be more loving to people. I need to be more loving to people. And uh, he said, ma'am, that's, that's not a confession, because that could be any of us. We could all be more loving to people. He's like, that, that's not a confession. And, and, um, and, and so she sat down, and, and later in the service, she, she stepped back up and, and said, I, I think what I, I meant to say is that my tongue has caused a lot of pain in this church. And the pastor leaned over, and he goes, now she's talking, <laughs> Now 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 we 're getting somewhere because it's a it 's a personal confession it 's a personal conviction of specific sin and not just this blanket i 'm sorry, God, I'm like what are you sorry for like I, I tell my son like what actually happened? Tell me what you did. okay, you hit your brother right let's let 's get through what actually happened before we move on so quickly. It was a hard truth that that Nathan brought to him, but we 've got to be able to personally Use that word I. We don't have to go on with flowery words in order to to earn repentance. And I think many times that's what we'll find ourselves doing. We'll fall short of the glory of God. We'll sin. And then we're like, hey, call call that way. Hey, I'm thinking about serving at the church. Think it's a good time. And what we've actually done is we just want to work off our sin. Is it possible for us just to work it off? But like that's not how it works. You're not just going to work it off. You're not just going to clean your conscience by doing a couple of good things. That's that's not the gospel, frankly. That's not the gospel. The gospel you receive that your works weren't good enough. My works aren't good enough. It is in Jesus Christ alone. And so when we repent, we don't say, okay, now I'm going to go work it off. We work out of a place. We serve the Lord out of a place of gratitude for what he's done for us. And it's an act of worship when we do it and not an act of repentance in our works. Let me just give you a few thoughts, and we'll move on from people. It took a little more time. Let's read Proverbs 19:20. Listen to advice and accept discipline, and at the end, you're going to be counted among the wise. Just a, I want to note, God forgives David immediately. He forgave him immediately. But the punishment was going to last. Like there was going to be consequences. There are consequences to sin. And innocent people get hurt in the consequences of sin. Some of you are a victim of that. Some of you have hurt others because of that sin in our own lives. And we can let that build up on us as guilt and shame. Or we can, can, you know, just walk in who God's created us to be. And we'll talk more about that a little bit. But here's just a couple thoughts Just when someone, God has positioned people to speak into our lives, be open. Be open and listen what they have to say. I think you also, you need to weigh the character of a person as well as weigh the words of a person, right? Weigh the character of the person, but also weigh the words of the person, um, the, the worse the character is, because God spoke throughout the Bible, spoke through people of ill He spoke through a prostitute. He's, he's spoken through donkeys. Like, God can speak through anybody who he chooses to. Question is, are we going to be open to it? And are we going to be discerning enough? And discernment is just prayerful consideration. That's what that means. Just, I'm just going to think about it. I'm going to discern. God, is this actually you? Is this actually speaking to me? Like, where is that? Like, will you reveal that in me? Have to use that discernment, discernment to really know, but the worse the character, the more discernment's necessary. You guys with me? There. Um, one final quote. That's just a good one right here from Mark Batterson. Don't let an arrow of criticism pierce through your heart without first passing through the Bible. Not only will this this it, not only is it as sharp as a two edged sword that will dig into us, it'll also protect us from words that are not of God. And some of you, things are, like you, you get new in Christ and you come here and you're like, yes, I, my identity is in Christ. I'm, I'm a new creation. God loves me. He has before I ever started. And then we go out there and someone, criticism comes in from somebody and then it's just piercing us. And I would, I would just venture to say it's probably because we're not using the Bible, not only in the offensive way, but in the defensive way. I don't mean offensive as offending others, but I mean it, uh, on the attack to speak it over our lives, but also to make sure that nothing that, that this word speaks um, or that's not in this word uh, pierces our heart. Don't let that criticism pierce your heart. We see a prompting here. Did you guys notice the prompting in verse one? God not only whispers through people, but he, he whispers through promptings. At the very beginning, verse one, the Lord sent Nathan to David. The Lord sent Nathan to David, and it's interesting how, how it goes. Like it didn't go, "Hey, here's what I want you to say to David." It was like, "Nope." The Lord sent that. The Lord sent Nathan to David. The prompting came first, and I just kind of imagine that in Nathan uh, Nathan's life, and hey, uh, this is God whispering, "Hey, I want you to go go talk to go talk to David real quick," and um, he's like, "Me, God, right now?" Like I'm. I'm uh, making dinner, you know, right now. Yeah, yeah, I want you to go talk to, to, to what, do you, what do you want me to say? Do what I said the first time, <laughs> you know. Do what I already asked you to do. And I think many times in, with promptings, we f- I don't know about y'all, I think I don't need page one of the instructions. I'll just flip over to page two because I know how to get the right parts and I know how to, I can figure that part out. Come on, how many times do we do that with this promptings thing? God, just go ahead, tell me what you're going to tell me. Tell me what you're going to ask me to do, and then I'll do it. We just skip to page two, and then we're confused. We're like, no, I can't do that. And we're like, forget it. I'll just throw it in the trash. And we, and we never obey. And so with the first one, it's like be open to people speaking to our lives. And the second one is be obedient. Like be obedient to the promptings of God. Like I wonder how long David would have continued in the guilt, in the shame that he was walking in, Right there in that time, if, if Nathan hadn't said, okay, God, I'll go, I'll be used. And then when God started whispering, this is what I want you to say, and he was like, oh, like on the way there, he's like, no, I ain't saying that, God, that's intense. You're telling me this son, his son's about to die. I'm not going like, to, think about that. You, God told you to go tell somebody their son's about to die. Like, no, nah, God, I'm good. Choose somebody else. You know, it takes a lot to be obedient When it's hard, but most of the time I think promptings aren't aren't hard. Sometimes it's not not even about what we say, but a promptings a prompting to pray. It's not just to go, hey, go say this, go say this. It's just a prompting to say, hey, just circle them until you until God tells you go say this to them, or until God brings clarity and discernment just to to know that's exactly what He's asking me to do, and this is the time to do it. Other than that, I'm just going to pray. I'm just going to circle that person in prayer and just. And it, that prompting, and so, so many times in our life, I think we missing it, miss it because we're not willing to be positioned in a place in which we don't have control. And that's what this does. It puts us in a place where we don't have control, but God, but that's what about being a child of God, following Jesus, not leading Jesus, but following Jesus is actually about, it's about actually being obedient when he says, hey, go, go, go to to David today. For what? just just go, okay? Well, I'm just going to go and just see what God does. I'm telling you, if you'll just begin to, to do even these first two things and grab a hold of the way God is speaking through other people, it's going to change all of your relationships and what your daily life will look like because people aren't just people now. That's an opportunity for God to speak to me. And promptings aren't just promptings, but it's an opportunity that someone's future might be changed. I mean, we've searched for purpose, and we're looking for the right career that's going to fill us up, but forget all that stuff. If we would just be obedient and open to what God's doing on a daily basis, like, you'd have more purpose than you can handle no matter what your hands are doing on a daily basis. I'm for real, like, if we could just grab a hold of of this, it's going to change our daily lives and bring so much purpose and meaning to it. I love what Ephesians 4, 15, and 16, and read this closely with me. We need to hear this in the church today. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we're going to grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, and that's Christ. And from him, the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament. If you are a follower of Jesus, if you are a son and daughter of God in this room, Every supporting ligament, we are held together as the body of Christ by you, by you, and by you. By every single supporting ligament, you matter. You matter to God. You matter to us. You matter to the person next to you. Ligament grows and builds itself up in love, and as each part does its work. We got a lot of Christians talking in our world. We got a lot of Christians who are mad because of certain policies that'll be instituted or certain things and it's like here's the truth and we miss what this whole th- speak it in love like duh you're supposed to speak the truth but if you don't speak it in love you, corru- you corrupt it all we're no longer salty we're no longer light we're just like the darkness it, the, the salt and light is supposed to add flavor and light into the darkness and when we don't have love we're not a part of the solution we're just a part of the problem and God has called the local church to be the solution. Like Jesus left, it. He, Jesus was like, here's the, king, the keys to the kingdom. And on this rock, Peter, I'll build my church and Hades will not prevail against it. Like, we're the hope of the world. I know that's a lot to say, but like the body of Christ. And none of us bear that alone. We bear that together. And so it's important that we do it in love and that we have every single supporting ligament doing their gifting and calling and hearing the voice of God so that they can then have their voice in this fallen world that we live in. Just a few things before we wrap up on promptings. We use personality as an excuse. Introverts, we use it as an excuse. Um, Extroverts, we we don't use it as an excuse, but I would just say this. Extroverts use extreme caution. Introverts use extreme courage. Extroverts use extreme caution and introverts use extreme courage because God wants to use you. He wants to, to speak through you he went, if he can do it through a prostitute, if he can do it through a donkey, he can do it through little me. Okay? He can do it. So if we're going to be like, no, we'll pass that on to somebody that's got the personality for it or whatever. God wants to speak. Might not always be a time to pray, a prompting to, to, to say something, but just a prompting to pray. Um, speaking the truth in love, second thing, is a respect earned. Right? This isn't wildfire, or machine gun, just like spraying all over. Like, Here's the truth, and it's in love. No, it's a respect earned. High majority of time, it has come through relationship. It's come through faithful relationship and building up and having the opportunity to speak that into their life. Um, and then the final thought here I would, I would just say is, uh, if your life is anything like mine, I've got a long to-do list. I'm very busy throughout the day, and um, I have a little place that I have to jot these things down. So when I'm in the middle of a meeting, I just think about it. I'll just jot that down real quick, prompt to pray about that. And I'll just, it's in my, it's in my to, daily to-do list as a follow-up or as a prompting or it's kind of titled different things, but that's what it is. Like, God, what are you, what are you saying? What are you, what are you speaking? And when you say, I'm just going to jot that person's name down, I'm going to follow up with them. I'm going to be obedient to it. Because when I write it down, it's not just a fleeting thought. It's not just randomly that that person popped in my mind who I haven't seen in a month or, you know. It's a. It's probably a prompting so that every supporting ligament will grow and will become like the. Will become like the head. The body will look like have you ever seen somebody who like, their body doesn't match their head or their head doesn't match their body. I see it sometimes in babies. Like, that baby's got a big head. <laughs> their body will catch up with it, you know, eventually. Um, and uh, sadly, the body doesn't look like the head a lot of times in the body of Christ. And many of you, the reason you walked out of church 20 years ago, 10 years ago, 30 years ago, the reason you did, because the body didn't look like the body. It wasn't it had anything to do with Jesus. And I'm just calling you home to be a part of the solution, to speak the truth in love, and to build one another up. Um, let's, let's wrap up here. Verses 20 through 25. Um, let's, let's just read these last five verses. And um, verse 20. Uh, then david got up the, the, the child died as as um he prophesied it would then David got up and from the ground got up from the ground and after he had washed, he put on lotions and he changed his clothes and he went into the house of the lord and he, and he worshipped after his son died, he went to the house of God to worship I just moving um, and then he went to his own house and after his request, they served him food and he ate and his servants asked him, "Why are you acting this way why the while the child was alive, you fasted and wept, but now that the child's dead, you get up and eat. He actually did those things backwards to custom, like after someone died, then you fasted and wept and put ashes on your body. He did it the other way around, and they were like, what are you doing? Um, Lied, I fast, he said, he answered, verse 22, uh, that while the child was uh, still alive, I fasted and wept. I thought, you know, who knows, God may be gracious to me and let the child live, and, but now that he's dead, why, why should I fast? Can I bring him back to life, you know, that he's uh, back again? I'll go to him, but he's not going to return to me. And then David comforted his wife Bathsheba. Just notice, in the middle of the sin, when God was speaking through the scriptures, speaking about David, it was always Uriah's wife, Uriah's wife, Uriah's wife. After his repentance, after Uriah's gone on, and now they're married, God is now calling her Bathsheba again. Then David comforted his wife Bathsheba and he went to her and lay with her. and um, She gave birth to a son and they named him Solomon and the Lord loved him. And because the Lord loved him, he sent word through Nathan the prophet to name him uh, Jedidiah. Um, it, it's heartbreaking that, that God took this child. Like That's hard for us to wrap our brains around but it's not so hard for us to wrap our brains around the consequences of sin because we've lived that. We've lived the consequences of sin. We've lived the consequences of disobedience. And I I think in a text like this, we have to trust that God comforted this small suffering child for seven days. God comforted him through temporary pain that he might experience eternal glory. Like, that's all I know to do with this, to be quite honest. Um, it's a hard, hard reality, but there's consequences to sin. And if nothing else, it paints that picture for us. But we see God's goodness because the story gets crazier. Like if it's not crazy already, it gets crazy. Like there's incest in his family that takes place from here. Uh, One of his sons murders the one who was incestual with one of his sister's I mean, it gets really ugly, and if, as if that wasn't enough, while David's still on the throne, one of his sons, Absalom, begins to try to overthrow him and start this rebellion, and one of his own men, his closest commander, Joab, kills his own, his, one of his own sons, and so now he's got like kids dying all over the place, and like the consequences of that sin are, are, are brutal, and it's hard for us to fathom that in this Old Testament text, but... Um, what I do know is I know what Romans 8, 28 says in our life. And we know that in all things, all things, God works for the good of those who love him and who have been called according to his purpose. I love this quote. I don't know if it's on there or not. God's mercy to his erring and repentant children will be shown in converting the results of their sin into the fires of purification. When we are repentant, God is good and he works all that for our good and for our glory. And how? I don't know. But I do know in this story, David never committed that sin again. Somehow through this fire, God refined him to truly be the man after his own heart that's spoken about earlier. That he was truly, that was refining him. God works it for his good and for his glory. And he's not done. He's still showing mercy to convert the results of the mess that we make it when it's about speaking our truth or living on our truth and not building our lives on his truth. God's good. God speaks through this pain. God whispers through this pain to David. And he's whispered it in my life. God's spoken through pain. Maybe we just haven't looked and realized it. that tell you a quick story. Last summer, um, I started having some heart stuff going on, um, like intense chest pains. Like, I felt like I was having a heart attack. I'm 32 years old, just wide open. Um, But my my whole dad's side has, um, has serious uh, heart trouble. Like, they've had heart surgeries in their 30s and 40s. You know, they've had heart attacks in their early 40s, late 40s. Um, so I was scared to death. I'll be honest. I got in a, in a room with a, a brotherhood coaches, and I was I was weeping like a baby. I was strong to my wife, but I was weeping. I was I was scared because it's just so. When it's your family and you know the history, and it's I love my family. I love what I do. I don't I don't want to die, God. But it was like it would happen. I it felt like I was having many heart attacks over and over again within a matter of a minute or two. I was scared. I went a few weeks with this, and, and I just. She was freaking out. I'm like, I gotta, go to the, I gotta go to the doctor and get this all checked out. And our board of directors here knew about it. I was, you know, people that were close, talk about public side, private side, right? So it was going on private side. People knew about it, but it was who I was letting know about it. And, um, and I went through all the testing. I was good, thank God. God like I was in a clean bill of health. It's amazing, sorry. I was keeping some of y'all, I was about to confess that I got some terrible disease. God is good, God is good. Everybody take a deep breath. Pastor's gonna be around for a few more days at least. Um, I was good. Um, but I bet in one of your family members' life at some point, there was some pain that started and it, they went to the doctor and got it checked out and it wasn't okay. And had you not got it checked out, had you not pulled back and seen what's on the God side, what's on your blind side, somebody might not have spoken to that, a doctor said this is what's going on. If that pain, we start seeing pain like a gift. The more mature we get, We start seeing pain like a gift because, like, God, what are you you speaking? And then we can say things like James said, like, I'll consider it pure joy when I face trials because I know it's going to develop in me a perseverance and some character, and it's going to eventually, it's going to produce this hope that is far beyond the temporary pain of this life, but it's only longing for, for eternity. And God is wants to do something in us today. God wants to do something in our lives. He wants to whisper that the pain is not for nothing. He is working it all for his good and for our good and for his glory. David's name literally means beloved and this child born to him means beloved of the Lord. That's what Jedidiah means. God, they wanted to name him Solomon. They said, no, God said, no, you're naming him Jedidiah. Beloved of the Lord, he's He's mine. Just because you started a mess when it was about your truth and doing your own thing. Just because it started there. I'm good, man. I'm going to purify the sin in your life, and I'm going to make good. And Solomon went on to be one of the wealthiest men the world has ever known. He was acclaimed for his wisdom, his honor, and his wealth. God was not done with him. And he's not done with us. God forgives. God does not hold a grudge. He's not holding a grudge. There's consequences of sin. We're going to have to walk through some of that, but he's not holding a grudge over your head. Crazy thing, and I, I didn't notice this for a long time as I read through this story, but as I got the final days of preparation, I was blown away because Christ was the person God used. And Christ was obedient to the promptings, even all the way to death on a cross. Said, not my will but yours be done. He was obedient at every step and he endured the depth of human pain, the depth of human sorrow, that so much so that they came up with a new word, excruciating, crucifixion. They came up with a word to describe what Jesus experienced. He felt the depth of human sorrow and pain. And he was the Christ. Christ was the child born to die for someone else's sin so we can look at that story and like how dare God oh wait that paved the way to my salvation and Jesus oh wait and we just find ourselves in this humble place because as Nathan looked to David and said you are that man I'm looking to you and say Christ is that man Christ is that man for us that laid down his life, was obedient at every turn, and was the person that God used that we might know life and might know it abundantly. I want you to sing.